Luke 14, 1 to 24. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But you, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. The master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truth upon our hearts by the power of his spirit. Amen. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your holy word, We pray that you'll help us to see how you first approached us with the call of the gospel. And Lord, we praise you that through the effectual call, you granted us repentance and faith. And you've granted us eternal life. 
Lord, you have granted us that we would assume places of honor around the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we pray, Lord, as those who are invited to a feast that in ourselves we have absolutely no business being at. We pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to be humble in our approach to you. And Lord, that because of our humility before you, we would have humility before each other and before other people. So that we might extend gospel hospitality to others for the expansion of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. Amen. Towards the end of my time in seminary, I had the opportunity to travel to Papua New Guinea. I went on a missions trip with um, Steve Scott, who I mentioned earlier, and his pastor and, and Caleb Jabello, the missionary who we now support. And both, interestingly enough, both Steve and Caleb were actually born in Papua New Guinea. Um, I'd been there a couple of times before, but this is, it's a big trip. We flew from, well, I flew from Los Angeles, from, uh, from Louisville, Kentucky to Los Angeles where I met the rest of the team and then we flew across the Pacific to Brisbane and then from there to Port Moresby uh, where we overnighted and then, and then the next day we flew on a little plane to, uh, to a, a small town up in the Highlands and then traveled by four wheel drive on some very, very, very bumpy roads and then, and then had to hike the rest of the way to the village. And I've been on, on, as I said, on two other missions trips. Those are building projects. This time we were there to preach. And, and we'd be preaching over the, the next couple of weeks and hiking to various villages and preaching the Word of God. Well, when we arrived, we were welcomed by children who were laughing and, and smiling ear to ear. And the men quickly took our backpacks and led us into the villages as, as the laughing children ran along beside us. We were met by villagers in, in traditional clothing co- covered in, in red and, and yellow feathers. The people began to sing. Now, there are few cultures so, so naturally musical as those of the South Pacific. I felt we were totally unworthy for such attention, for such a welcome. But I was about to feel a whole lot more unworthy. We were guided to the entrance of the grass hut where we would be staying uh, along with with several men. And and these men knelt down at our feet and removed our shoes and socks and proceeded to wash our feet. I couldn't hold back the tears as this man bowed at my feet and washed these, these stinky tired feet that had been in transit for over 24 hours. I was deeply humbled by the service that this godly man was performing for me. I've never been so honored and so humbled at the same time in my entire life. From there we went into the church building and and sat down for a a mumu. A mumu is a a traditional feast similar to a, a luau in Hawaii. The whole pig and vegetables like yams and, and taro, ferns and plantains are, are placed over hot rocks in a pit and then buried uh, for several hours. 
I got to say, this has to be one of the most delicious ways to prepare a meal. And as the food was laid out before us, we were invited to go up first to, to choose the, the choicest pieces of meat. And I took, I took some vegetables and a, and a, a small piece of pork. And yes, out of courtesy, but, but I have to admit, mainly because the, the pig's bristles that were still there and the, the inch thick layer of fat on the pork was, was distasteful to me. But Steve, in, in order to, uh, to have a bit of fun with me, grabbed me a much piece or bigger piece of meat. Which, of course, I had to eat. Now, in that culture, one's wealth is, is literally determined by the number of pigs that you have. And so this was a very generous feast. The, these people have really, they had, they had set out the, the fatted pig for us. Now, I've been a blessed, I've been blessed to enjoy many special dinners, but, but this was a, a whole new level of hospitality as these subsistence farmers welcomed us and, and honored us. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24, this, this feast narrative, where a Sabbath meal in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees provides the occasion, the illustration, and the application for Jesus teaching the Pharisees and us about the characteristics of true disciples and those who will enter the kingdom of God. And these humble men in Papua New Guinea represented the type of, of person who is a true disciple of Christ and, and one who will indeed enter the kingdom of God, not because of their works, but because what they did was a reflection of the humility and love for God, the love for us that was in their hearts. Now, as I mentioned last week, there are four main sections in this passage. In verses 1 to 6, a lesson about hypocrisy. In, in verses 7 to 11, a lesson about humility. 12 to 14, a lesson about hospitality. And 15 to 24, a lesson about heaven. Last week, we heard Jesus' lesson about hypocrisy from 1 to 6, where the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner in order to scrutinize him and to entrap and to condemn him by using a man who is sick with dropsy to see if, if Jesus would heal this man so they could accuse him of being a Sabbath breaker. But instead, remember that Jesus had turned the tables on them as they found themselves scrutinized by Jesus and ensnared in their own trap and self-condemned by their hypocrisy over the Sabbath. Now, the Lord Jesus should have been held in highest honor, but he was dishonored by these Pharisees. These social and religious elites should have humbled themselves before him instead of honoring them. The Lord Jesus humbles or honors rather the humble sick man by healing him, even on the Sabbath. True disciples honor others and show integrity every day of the week. But the Pharisees again revealed their hypocrisy in attempting to humiliate this man and Jesus. We saw the most honorable man on the planet, let alone at their table. Jesus humbled them and honored the humble man at their table. 
And then in verses 7 to 11, we saw a lesson about humility. As the Pharisees scrutinized Jesus, Jesus was scrutinizing them. Noticing that they, they jockeyed for the most honored seats around the table. And he told the Pharisees and us not to choose the best seat, but to humbly choose the most lowly seat at the table. Jesus was teaching that, that you should not draw attention to what you think your position is, but to let the Lord place you in the position that he deems appropriate. Let others recognize that. And Jesus continued in by saying in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. True humility and true discipleship means having a high regard and a love for others. And so we all must humble ourselves at the table. Today, our Lord will continue in the same vein with verses 12 to 14. Again, a, a lesson about hospitality. And in verses 15 to 24, a lesson about heaven. So then, a lesson about hospitality. Verses 12 to 14. Attention mounted as Jesus continues to teach. Remember, verses 1 to 6, he had rebuked everyone around the table. In verses 7 to 11, he admonished the guests. And now in verses 12 to 14, he admonishes the host. He told the guests to humble themselves before the other guests at the table. And now he tells the ruler of the Pharisees to invite the humble to his table. We already established that this table was full of proud people. But Jesus says instead, invite the humble. Jesus tells him not to invite his friends, his brothers and sisters and relatives or rich neighbors, but instead he should invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Invite the humble to your table. Now notice the different motivations. When you invite your friends and family and so on, he says, you will be repaid. You'll be repaid when you invite them. Here at the end of verse 12. They're going to invite you back. So really, it's no real expense to invite someone over for dinner when you know that they're going to invite you back. If I was to give you a $50 gift, and then the next day you gave me a $50 gift, what it gave you is not really a gift. What you gave me is not really a gift. It's just reciprocation. The payback is, is prompt, but it's eternal. And temporary, there, there's no cost to you at all. You don't usually have to wait very long before you get repaid. The, the people who you've invited for dinner will usually invite you back for dinner before too long. But think about the repayment of, of being welcomed back to somebody else's house after you've had them over. Well, you, the payment is only with worldly things. You know, maybe you'll get a, a nice meal and a, a nice evening out of it. These are merely worldly repayments. There's, there's no eternal benefit. Furthermore, these things won't last. Once you have swallowed the food and absorbed the calories and the nutrients, it's not, the food's not going to bring you any further benefit. And once you go home, you may have a, a few nice memories of your time together, but, but countless evenings are, are just, such evenings are just filled with frivolity. They're just a waste of time. But this is contrasted with true hospitality. And what we're here is contrasted with true fellowship. Hospitality is not merely having those over for dinner who will have you over for dinner. Now, at risk of, of committing an exegetical fallacy, 
root fallacy, the, the word that's translated hospitality in its original form is a compound word meaning love of strangers. Hospitality, at least originally, was love of strangers. Now, we know that hospitality is not exclusively love of strangers, but, but certainly that is part of it. And who better qualifies as a stranger than someone who is physically or otherwise disabled and unable to return the favor? Such people were excluded from temple worship under the ceremonial law in the Old Testament in Leviticus 21, 70 to 23. And even in the New Testament, where the ceremonial law has been abrogated and fulfilled under the new covenant in Christ, there was a danger in the church of honoring the wealthy. James warns against giving the rich person the seat of honor in the church. James 2, 1 to 7. And James continues saying that, that the, the royal law, according to the scripture, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Not just the person who will pay you back, but the person who can't. Not just your fellow Christians. Disciples must not seek the place of honor or show hospitality, or show, rather, or show, or show partiality in showing honor to those who the world deems honorable. In the church, there, there are plenty of good seats for all. Many of you will have heard of Rosaria Butterfield, the, the radical feminist lesbian professor who came to faith in Jesus Christ largely due to the hospitality of a local pastor and his wife. And in her book entitled The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radical Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World, she writes, Faith in Jesus foregrounds the trust that says, I love my neighbor because she is mine, not because she loves me back. Let me ask you again, do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor even if they can't or won't love you back? Loving your neighbor means not just having, having a chat with the people who live around you while you walk the dog, but inviting, to them, inviting them to your home, serving them. Yes, telling them about Christ, but, but not just telling them, showing them Christ. You show them Christ as you show them what it means to live as a Christian. And this kind of hospitality doesn't start doesn't stop in your own neighborhood. It might mean going downtown to a homeless person. Now, of course, you need wisdom, so you don't uh, you don't enable somebody in their sin. I don't wonder how often we we paint in these things in broad strokes and and make this an excuse not to reach out at all. Now, of course, this, this kind of hospitality might look different under the current circumstances. You need to practice wisdom not to put your, 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 put others or your family under undue risk. But let God and His Word guide you into what is truly an undue risk. You need to evaluate the command to show hospitality in light of the commands to honor the governing authorities. To someone who is afraid of COVID. Respect their concerns so as not to create an offense that hinders the gospel. To someone who is concerned about government restrictions, again, respect their concerns so as not to create an offense that undermines or hinders the gospel. I believe 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23 apply here. You need to be all things to all men. 
The Apostle Paul says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. As for who exactly the weak are, I'll refer you to Pastor Joshua's sermon from Romans 14 and 15. When it comes to this kind of hospitality, you might need to be creative. It might mean having somebody over for dinner in your backyard. It might mean meeting someone for a picnic in the park. It might mean bringing a meal to a person with legitimate needs. Use your home and your resources as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Again from Rosaria Butterfield. She says, our homes are not our castles. They aren't even ours. Do you hear what she's saying here? That your home is a gift from God to be used for His glory and to advance His kingdom. Turn with me for a moment to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And again, this is a, a well-known passage where Jesus speaks about the final judgment separating sheep, which are true believers, from the goats who are unbelievers. Now, Jesus Jesus welcomes the sheep into his kingdom in verses 35 and 36. He says that he was hungry and they fed him. He was thirsty and they gave him drink. He was a stranger and they welcomed him. He was naked and they clothed him. He was sick and they visited him. He was in prison and they came to him. This is true hospitality. And the righteous sheep will ask when they did that. And the king replies, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. You do it to the least because of Christ. Again, that's the kind of hospitality that Jesus is pointing to. Now Jesus is not saying here never that you should never have family and friends over for dinner. He's saying that it's, it's not wrong to have family and friends over, but don't exclusively have them over. It's not that you shouldn't invite those people that you shouldn't, but that you shouldn't invite only those people. There is much value in serving a range of people. There is huge value in Christian fellowship. Fellowship is, is centered not on the frivolity that the world enjoys. It is intentional conversation and encouragement, and even admonishment. And such times of fellowship are of eternal value. But when it comes to inviting the, the, the humble, the, the, the poor, and the blind, and the lame, and the, and the weak, and, and so on, when it, when it comes to this kind of hospitality, consider the motivation. The, the poor, and the crippled, and the lame, and the blind can't repay you. But you will be repaid. You will be repaid. You'll be repaid, be repaid by God. Now, you'll have to wait for judgment day, for the day of the Lord, but you will be paid at full. In full at the Bema seat, in, in the judgment seat of Christ, you'll receive what is due for what you have done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 But you might be thinking here, well, I shouldn't really be motivated by a reward because... Serving God is its own blessing. It's its own reward. You might be thinking, well, well, I don't need a reward and I shouldn't be motivated by a reward. Well, friends, yes, serving God is a blessing. But it's not wrong to look for more blessing so long as you look for the blessing that comes from God. 
As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in the race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run to obtain the prize. Run so that you will receive the reward. 1 Corinthians 9.25, exercise self-control to receive an imperishable wreath, an imperishable crown. 1 Peter 5.4. When you are rewarded by God, you're being blessed for something that you did not earn. You realize that, right? When you are blessed by God for doing what you do for the glory of God, it is God who has empowered you to do it. Any good work that you will ever do, you have been enabled to do through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And all the glory then belongs to God. Turn with me please to John chapter 15. John 15, 1 to 11. Verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And 10 times in 11 verses, Jesus speaks of abiding in him. Abiding in Christ simply means to be truly saved and to remain in intimate relationship with Jesus, dependent on him. And when you abide in Jesus, he does the work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Verse 8, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So when you do the good works that God has providentially laid out for you to do, you're doing them in the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and you're proving that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. You're proving that you're truly a Christian, that you truly belong to Jesus Christ as you follow in his footsteps. Your attitude to God is often reflected in how you treat others. If you are not humble before others, the reality is that you are not humble before God. Let me say that again. If you aren't humble before others, the reality is you are not humble before God. Friends, pride has one chief aim, self-glorification. You can invite the lowly over for dinner and still be seeking your own glory. You can do it for a, a pat on the back from others to, to feel good about yourself or even as an attempt at self-righteousness. In such situations, you are, you are claiming to serve others, but you're really serving yourself. You're really trying to glorify yourself. And if you are truly, if you are actually trying to glorify yourself, you are robbing God of His glory. C.G. Mahaney says in his book, Humility, True Greatness, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and, and our sinfulness. Humble people are more attuned to their sin than they're attuned to their own strengths. Humble people are more attuned to the, to the evidences of grace in others than they are the weaknesses of others. But so often we are, are proud. We are, we are more attuned to the evidences of grace or things we assume are evidences of grace in our lives and the sin in others. We have it backwards. Where the humble person is focused on their own sin and the evidences of grace in another person. That's what it means to be humble. Humble people 
are more aware of the, the needs of others above their own needs. And so humble people don't really see other people as lowly. They don't say, I'm, I'm inviting this lowly person over for dinner. They don't see anybody as lowly because they see others and they esteem others above themselves. So then hospitality is rooted in humility. Humble people hold the humble in high regard because humble people are humble. Invite the humble to your table. And if you humbly do this, if you unconsciously invite others, not for your own glory, but for God's glory, God will reward you. So you see how the tables are turned. The lowly are honored, and God is glorified. If you show this kind of hospitality and, and don't feel the need to, to trumpet your virtues to others, but see as an opportunity to proclaim God's glory, God will reward you. So your attention isn't on, on how tidy your house looks. It's not on, on how delicious your meal is. Yes, you could do those things. You can take care of those things. But it's, it's because you want to esteem the other person, not because you want to glorify yourself. And God will reward you for it. Those humble, hospitable men in Papua New Guinea gave us honor that we didn't deserve. An honor that we couldn't pay back. It's, it's very small likelihood that, that I'll be able to return the favor for these men and invite them into my own home one day. People aren't going to line, aren't going to line up and, and pat them on the back for their humility. Only a few people even knew about it until this morning. But God knew about it. And God will reward those men. They'll be rewarded by God on the day of the Lord. Do you seek that kind of a reward? This is the kind of reward that, that God in his word bids you again and again to seek. So as Jesus reclined it, at that table on that Sabbath in the home of the ruler of the Pharisees, Jesus turned the tables. Again, Jesus had been invited over to expose him as a fraud. But instead, those around the table had been exposed as hypocrites. The guest's hearts had been exposed as proud, and the host's heart had been exposed as selfish. And as I imagine that, that meal, I would imagine that, that everybody at that table was looking down at their plates in silence. And only that is except Jesus. He would have been looking intently at his host. What would Jesus see if he looked intently at you? Intently at your heart and the things that, that motivate you to show hospitality or to, not to show hospitality at all? What has Jesus exposed in your heart over his meal? Jesus now continues in verses 15 to 24 with a lesson about heaven. When one of the other guests at the table heard what Jesus had said, he replied, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now his statement is true. Those who, who, who eat and recline at table at the, the marriage supper of the Lamb that received, there's no greater blessing that anyone could receive than that. 
But what was behind the man's statement? Why did he say it? And to whom is he referring? Is he convicted by what Jesus has just said? Is he so uncomfortable with the awkward silence that that he needs to say something, anything to break the ice? Well, I think Jesus' response reveals his heart. I believe that the man, this man has concluded that the Pharisees and presumably he are going to be present at the table in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus has just said at the end of chapter 13 that that many of those who thought they were going to be there were excluded from the table, whereas many will, will sit with with Abraham and Isaac and the prophets, they'll sit with the patriarchs, and, and, and even Gentiles will be there from north and south and east and west, but that many who thought they'd be there are excluded. But this man is saying, no, no, I'm in. Pharisees are in. We're all good with God. So Jesus tells this parable of the great banquet to reveal that God invites the humble to his table. He's just told us to invite the humble to our table. Now he says that that God invites the humble to his table. Many Jews will not be seated at Jesus' table. Not because they weren't invited, but because of their misplaced priorities. They want other things more than they want heaven. Plenty of people are happy to talk about heaven, but aren't really inclined to go there. So this parable will prompt the question, will I really accept the invitation or will I make excuses? So Jesus begins at verses 16 and 17. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So first the master sends out his servant with an invitation to many people. The invitation goes out to many, but how many will accept? Well, it seems that many responded positively positively to the RSVP. They agree to come. However, once the preparations are made and the banquet is ready, the master sends his servant out again. This kind of double invitation was, was common in that culture. Their RSVP would go out and preparations would be made, and, and then the announcements would come that everything was ready and that the time to come was now. But what happened? Those who had previously said that they would come now say they won't. Something better has come up. Something more important has come up. So they changed their mind. Many have received the gospel call. Many have received the sincere offer of the gospel to come. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Many are called, but few come. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. These people present all kinds of excuses in verses 18 to 20. One says he's bought a field and he, he must go and see it. I don't know about you, but it seems kind of foolish to to buy a field sight unseen. Either way, the field still would have been there tomorrow. Another says, I bought five oak, yoke of oxen and I must go and examine him. Uh, go and examine them. Well, five yoke of oxen would be would be enough to to plow a very large 
parcel of land. But would you buy five yoke of oxen without taking them for a test drive? I don't think so. A third says that he's he's just gotten married. Well, A plus for originality. He can even back it up with scripture because in Deuteronomy 24, 5, we're, we're told that a newly married man was not to go to war or engage in public duty, but was to be at home for a year to be happy with his wife. But clearly an invitation to a feast is, is not in view here. You know, I've seen this happen in the church as newly married couples seemingly drop off the face of the earth or at least drop out of Christian fellowship. The same thing sometimes happens with new parents. Whether they, they're just, they're so consumed with, with raising this child, which is an important thing, but they, they don't prioritize properly. I don't know, what is it that, that keeps you from fellowship? Again, this is, this is between you and the Lord. What is keeping you from doing what you need to do? Again, this might look different in different seasons. But are you showing that your priorities are out of whack? Are you showing that, that something is more important to you than the kingdom of God? These people held possessions and earthly relationships in a higher priority than heaven. Is there any priority that you hold above heaven? Is something, anything, keeping you out of heaven? Will it be worth it in the end? I think we all, at least in theory, know the answer to that. But practically speaking, is something, anything, keeping you out of heaven? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Matthew 16, 26. These people's response to Jesus will determine whether they are at the table. Friends, you are saved by responding to God's call, not your own effort. But if you are lost, it is your own fault. You are the one keeping yourself out of heaven. We've spoken about this many times. This is an apparent paradox, but but the scriptures teach God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. In verse 21, the servant returns and tells his master what's happened. The master's angry and tells the servant, go go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, the same ones who are supposed to be invited to the tables in verse 13. Those who have been excluded from temple worship under the Old Testament ceremonial law are invited under the New Testament law of Christ, the law of love. This law points, points more deeply, as we saw from verse 13, to the spiritually poor the spiritually crippled, the spiritually blind, the spiritually lame, to the spiritually humble. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' mission from Luke 4, 18 and 19. We said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, as we've tracked through Jesus' ministry, we've seen him do this again and again. But, but his, And even though he healed the people who were physically unwell, we've seen again and again that his primary mission was to, to heal people spiritually. That these physical healings pointed to the spiritual reality. They are living parable of what Jesus came to do. 
So, I, so again, Jesus tells, or the, the king tells us, the servant, the master tells the servant to, to go into the streets and the lanes of the city to invite more people to come. Well, I, I believe that here the streets and lanes of the city refers to the Jews. Because remember, at the end of chapter 13, Jesus had legit, had lamented over the rejection of the people of Jerusalem. And remember that Jerusalem represents the nation as a whole. But not all of Israel is going to reject Jesus. There will be a remnant. And so once again, we see the tables turned. We see a reversal. Some in the nation will indeed respond to Jesus, but, but they're going to come from, from the most unexpected places. Very, very few from among the religious authorities, but it's going to be the, the, the humble people who are looked down upon by the religious authorities, who will, many of whom will find themselves in the kingdom of God, while the religious authorities will be on the outside. And so again, in verse 23, the servant returns, saying, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still more room. Even, search, even searching the city is not going to provide enough guests. There's still more room. And so, again, the, the master sends a servant out, the, out. Now he sends him outside of the city. He says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. He's saying, make a wider search. Now I believe the reference to those outside the city refers to the Gentiles. To those who are outside of Israel. The Gentiles are, had no natural claim on God. And here we see them included in the people of God and, and many who would have called themselves the people of God excluded. He tells the servant to compel them to come in, to make them come in. Well, now the tables aren't just overturned. They are completely flipped upside down. This is an even more radical reversal. Those who are on the outside are now inside. Again, Gentiles who have no claim on God are now brought into the kingdom. Let's turn for a moment to Romans 15. In Romans 15, 8 to 13, we see in verses 8 and 9 that, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the Jews, to show God's faithfulness, truthfulness rather, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. Verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And verse 12, the, the root of, of Jesse, so this this holy descendant of David, David's greater son will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. So there will be Jew and there will be Gentile around the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. People from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather together before Christ on that day. And brothers and sisters, and even those who are not yet brothers and sisters, you are invited to the table. You're invited to Christ's banquet. So through Christ, you are to invite others to come to the banquet. 
And even if those who are originally invited don't show up, others will. Others will be there. Well, now finally, in verse 24, Jesus reverts to the plural. Clearly, he's speaking to everyone who's seated at the table. He says, For I tell you, plural, that none of the, those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. These Pharisees had rejected Jesus, and thus they're absent from the Lord's table. Jesus, remember, had warned them in verses 27 to 30 that these workers of evil would, would be commanded to depart from him. Gentiles would be in, but religious Jews would be out. Again, many are called, but few are chosen. And there are no second chances for those who refuse to the end. As Leon Moore says, those first invited might not take up the invitation, but others would, both Jew and Gentile. God's purpose may be resisted, but it cannot be overthrown. Those who thought they deserved the best seats around this earthly table will be absent, because they will absent themselves from God's table. Those who sought honor in this life will be disgraced for all eternity. The religious leadership is rejecting God's blessing. They're excusing themselves and they're excluding themselves. And God will reject them and will extend his invitation to others. The Jewish leadership has missed the opportunity to be at the Lord's table. They will miss God's blessing. T.W. Manson warns, Men cannot, men, man cannot save himself, but man can damn himself. Many there will be least expected. Those who are rejected by society. Brothers and sisters, seek people like this. Witness to people like this. Be diligent to seek them out. This is your mission. You are God's servant to continue to invite others just as you have been invited into God's kingdom. You have been invited and invite others to the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Pharisees have been scrutinizing Jesus. They have judged him wrongly. They will find out that it is the Pharisees themselves who are judged. Now, in this, this is the last time in Jesus' incarnation that's recorded for us when he had, when he would dine with the Pharisees. The door was closing. Their chances were growing thin. Very, very few of them will dine with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, the humble invite others to their table and the humble will be at the Lord's table. Now, your salvation is not dependent upon your humility if, or mine isn't dependent on my humility. If it is, we're all doomed. But it's those who through the grace of God are humble enough to see their sin, to see their need of a Savior, to, need, to know the need to repent even now for a failure to be humble. Will you be at the Lord's table? Will you be there? Now we're about to celebrate the Lord's table. This is a picture, this is a foretaste of those who will eat together at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a picture of that. As we partake of the, the bread and the cup, we are, are picturing, symbolizing our participation in Christ. Our faith in Him and our hope in Him and, and our earnest desire to eat with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
those who are truly partaking, those who are, are receiving the bread and the cup in faith, in faith in the crucified and risen Savior, will indeed one day celebrate around the Lord's table at the marriage supper of the Lamb on the day of the Lord. But everyone else will be on the outside for all eternity. Are you on the inside or are you on the outside? Are you at the table or are you excusing yourself from the table? If you are excusing yourself from God's table, there is no point in partaking in this table. If you're excusing yourself from the marriage supper of the Lamb, then, then by eating and drinking from this table, you're actually eating and drinking judgment on yourself. But once again, you're being given an opportunity. Once again, you are hearing the gospel call, the call to, to have faith in Jesus, to repent from your sins, and to trust in Him. Will you receive His invitation to eat at His table? Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we marvel that you would invite sinners like us to dine with you at your table. We marvel at the reality, the promise that one day, because of Jesus Christ, because he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, has been raised on the third day for our justification. We ascended to the Father's right hand and we know that He will return and take us to be with Him forever. Lord, we marvel at these things. We praise You for these things. And Lord, we pray that through the power of Your Holy Spirit that these things will be true of all who hear my voice. May they hear this not as the invitation of a human being, but may they hear this as the gospel call from the Holy God to enter and to dine with Him and to be with Him forever. We pray this in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen.